on your PC, iPod or smartphone, this is the girlsplayfooty.com podcast. Coming up on the 33rd edition of the girlsplayfooty.com podcast for 2017, we catch up with Eastern Devils footballer and potential AFLW draftee Jessica Trent, president of the Golden Gate Australian Football League, the San Francisco Iron Maidens, Julie Marks, radio host and author of the Play Like a Girl series, Joe Stanley. We review the AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division Grand Final with Lauren Hodgson and we take a look back at the VFLW semi-finals with Matthew Cox. That's all coming up on the girlsplayfooty.com podcast. <laughs> I'm Peter Holden. Welcome to the 33rd edition of the girlsplayfooty.com podcast for 2017, our third season of doing these podcasts. And don't forget, there's more than 80 podcasts from you to listen to available via Apple Podcasts or SoundCloud. Just search for Girls Play Footy. And a quick reminder, you can listen to this podcast as a radio program every Wednesday evening from about 6 p.m. That's Melbourne time on RSN Carnival. It's digital radio in Melbourne or via the RSN Racing and Sport app. And if you can listen via those devices, you can tune into the Swiss Wellness VFL Women's Preliminary Final this Saturday, being the 16th of September from 1.30pm Melbourne time for a 2.30pm bounce. We bring in the St Kilda Sharks versus the Darabin Falcons. The winner goes through to next week's grand final against Diamond Creek at Etihad Stadium. So tune in via RSN Carnival Digital Radio or the RSN Racing and Sport app. Around 200 women had the honour of pulling on an AFLW jumper during the early part of 2017 to play in the inaugural AFL women's competition. Quite a few obviously missed out, either not being drafted or for a handful, they were very unlucky. Injury hit at the worst possible time. Several weeks ago, we spoke with Jordan Zanchetta from the Yoronga South Brisbane Devils, who did her injury in the early stages of the 2016 Quaffle season. She's trying to make her comeback and play for the Brisbane Lions in 2018. We know of Kiara Bowers and Renee Forth, who are both playing in 2016 for the Coastal Titans. And in the same game, a semi-finals match, both of them went down with ACLs and couldn't play for the respective Fremantle Dockers and GWS Giants sides that they were signed to as marquees. We know definitely those two will be running around for those respective AFLW clubs in 2018. Another player who was showing sensational form for the Eastern Devils in the Victorian Football League women's competition was Jessica Trend. In fact, a game in early August, she was having an absolute blinder against Melbourne Uni. She just kicked a goal. She kept Ellie Blackburn fairly quiet. It was the second quarter. There was a ball up in the middle of the ground, and then it happened. Her knee went. An injury at the worst possible time, just a couple of months out from the AFLW draft. But she's rebounded back since then. She's done her rehab, decided to sit out the 2017 season to give herself the best possible chance of being drafted for AFLW 2018. Joining us on the line now is Jessica Trend. Jess, how are you? I'm really good, thank you. How are you? Not too bad at all. Great to be chatting with you. Before we talk about your current situation where you're coming back from an ACL injury, let's take a step back through time, Jess. First of all, when did you pick up the footy? Um, in high school, I have a solid high school called Norwood and we played state footy then. It was huge girls' footy. So in year seven and throughout to year 12, that's when I was playing some footy. But I stopped after high school for two years. And um, I was lucky enough to meet one of my Eastern Devils um, players at HLK, and that's where I picked up the footy first time for the Eastern Devils in 2012. And what a year it was. Of course, the Devils then were still known as East Burwood, and uh, you got named in the best several times playing in Premier Reserves and even uh, played off in a grand final. Yeah, so that year I played in the Resies. I was a little bit too scared to play in the seniors, even though Brian Duff, the coach of the seniors, wanted to, was kind of asking me every week to hop up in the seniors, but I just wanted to year in the res is just to get my touch on the footy and I was lucky enough to play in the grand final but unfortunately we lost but it was just a great experience for my first year at the Eastern Devils. Including kicking a goal in the grand final by the way. That's, that was oh like... that was a ripper, first goal, <laughs> remember it clearly. <laughs> Come on, describe it, describe it. <laughs> oh, I can't remember, it was probably in the first couple of minutes and I took a mark without expecting it and yeah, hopefully I went back and kicked it on the boot and it, it actually went through, it was a bit of a surprise actually. So it was a good start to the grand final. 
Now, looking at the stats, you start to play predominantly uh, senior women's football in 2015 with the Devils. That was, I think, the first year under Brendan Major as well. What made you want to take up to the step up the senior level at that stage, and of course, perform well enough to consistently hold your spot? Um, it was pretty much just actually viewing everyone that surrounded me in the seniors team, and I'm a pretty competitive um, human. So seeing how well and the standard the girls around me were playing. I knew that I actually had to keep up a good, um, consistent game each Sunday. So, yeah, seeing those Meg, Meg Hutchins, Lou Waddens, um, Hannah Scott playing the footy that they play, I knew that I had to always get some touch of the ball and, um, yeah, hopefully get a game each Sunday. And luckily I did major. And what do you think saw the turnaround of the fortunes of the Eastern Devils through those years? Because in the years before, at senior level anyway, the Devils had been easy beats, but you became more competitive in 2015. You just fell shy of the finals. You made the semifinals uh, last year. What do you put that turnaround down to? Oh, it definitely comes down to the culture of the club that we built with Major. So when he hopped on board, um, he focused on bringing us all together and really grounding our culture and what we're all about. So I remember we had a few meetings with the captains and the leading um, girls and, yeah, we just really sort of the values that we're going to work towards and just do little steps at a time and uh, work for the little goals. So, and then we did really do well, um, but, well, yeah, as you said, Pretty unlucky to fall short at the end of the season, but um, I think that was just a good growth and a learning experience, to be honest. In 2016, you were having a hell of a year. In fact, you had a midfield of yourself along with Jamie Lambert, Hannah Scott, Trish Muller would go through the midfield at times, Sarah McNamara as well. You had plenty of good guns in there to be able to rotate. Uh, what do you think clicked for you in 2016 to be such an attacking midfield that uh, saw you essentially take Diamond Creek's spot in the finals? Yeah, I think um, it was just that we worked really well together. So at the start of the year, I remember Major bringing us together and telling us that we were going to be the consistent midfield and if we want to keep our place, we really had to figure out our roles um, and come together as a tight-knit group and not be individual players. And I think that's what worked best is we knew exactly what role we each had and um, putting that down um, in place every Sunday showed the success that we were actually earning. So, yeah, it was a really, really solid um, year for all the midfielders, I believe, for that year. So I was very, very lucky. Now, as we said, you started playing senior women's football, albeit with the reserves, in 2012. So you essentially picked up the game just before the first year of the exhibition matches. And, of course, you played right through until 2016 prior to the injury. So you're playing in the part, playing in the era where the game is transitioning. For yourself personally, how much has your commitment and, and dedication to training changed since when you first picked up the footy at senior level in 2012? Oh, it was a huge leap. At the start, I think it was more just the social aspect for me, um, just getting to know new friends and having a bit of run around every Wednesday and Friday night and Sundays. But as soon as I saw the game growing and having that competitive side, I knew that I wanted to be a part of that and not miss the train. So I definitely had to step it up a notch. And it just happened naturally as well with all the girls, as I said, in my team. Being around them at training, you kind of just had to step it up and become professional athletes and train to that standard. Otherwise, you'd be left behind and I would be playing in the senior side. 2016, it's early August. It's Mulgrave Reserve. You're playing Melbourne Uni. We're calling the game at the time. You're having a ripper in the midfield with Jamie Lambert and you're beating Melbourne Uni. In fact, I think you even kicked a goal as well. The ball goes back to the middle of the ground and you go down. What was going mm. through your mind at that stage? Um, not a lot, but just to keep on blackers. So my role that game was to tag blackers, and um, I think that that was probably one of my best games so far I've ever probably played, and I was just enjoying it, really, every step. As you said, I kicked a pretty good, sneaky little goal, thanks to Perka, and, um, yeah, I was pretty much on a high, but I remember, it, I believe it was in early in the second quarter and I was just telling the girls like you know just relax we've actually got this and we're playing really well we just have to keep doing what we're doing and as soon as I did it I kind of just said okay I'll just get off and I'll just stretch it out as I got taped up and everything um but yeah when I did the little run along the sideline that's when I knew deep down that something wasn't right and I remember Hutchie pulling me aside and saying there's only two weeks to final so just take it easy but um we never 
um, thought or guessed it was an ACL until I literally got my MRI results. So, yeah, it's a, not a great memory, but then again, I always look back at the positives and remember that was one of my best games in 2016. So you've got your positives with it as well. What did you try and do to keep positive from that moment? Because you were like, a, and would happen in September to Renee Forth and Kiara Bowers and happened a few months prior to Jordan Zanchetta, a number of footballers that would, you know, be expecting to be playing in AFLW, but unfortunately did their knees. What did you try and do to go, okay, I'm going to miss the first season, but I'm going to get back up again? Um, I kind of took it as a sign that I needed to put my energy somewhere else. So I... Straight away, obviously, it was a huge knock um, back, and I did, uh, for a couple of days, I remember feeling very, very low, but um, watching one of my close devils, Kenny, go through it, I knew there was no other option but to be positive and to start planning my rehab and not look back and only look forward. So I was ensuring that I was getting as much advice around me. I was making sure that I'd go to the physio all the time, and I was pretty much just putting my game plan down in action, but putting my energy not only in my rehab but into my future of becoming a teacher. So I got to spend that time uh, resting my leg after the surgery, putting all my energy into getting a job. So I was very lucky to get my job and that kind of distracted me through that period. So I was very fortunate that I got to experience um, working on my future and my other passion, which is teaching, but also putting all my other energy into my rehab and just making sure that I still had that dream of being drafted because once I've got a dream, I must catch it before I actually let go of it. So it's been 12 months since then. What was the plan coming back? Because technically, if the Devils were going to make the finals, was there going to be a push on to try and be right in August, September to play finals? Or was the uh, the word down from major or any AFL clubs looking at you saying, look, let's just sit this season out and let's focus on pre-season of AFLW? Yeah, look, it was a very, very, very tough um, decision. I remember Major and I talking, and we actually took a couple of days just deciding really what I wanted to do. Um, to be honest, if that second ACL or third, I should say, didn't happen to Keddie, I think I would have tried to push back and make it to the finals. But, um, yeah, seeing what happened with Kenny, I knew that this wasn't just any old um, injury that I really wanted to take my time and make sure that I uh, came back to footy at 100%. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was a pretty long conversation with Major and even just deciding not to put me on the list of 40 was pretty tough and I did, um, it did rock the boat and I felt a bit of a roller coaster and a step backwards. But um, looking back at it now, even though I think it's a um, kind of negative thought in a way, because it has held me back from maybe getting drafted in this upcoming draft. I think it's probably the best decision I have made because I can ensure that I can trust my body and make sure that I'm working towards the fittest and strongest I can be. Now, you may have slipped under the radar of many in the mainstream media, but we cannot forget that you've represented Victoria against New South Wales ACT. You pulled on a Bulldogs jumper against Melbourne in an exhibition game, if I'm correct, at Craigie Burns. So you've certainly got the honours to your title. Uh, what's being done, I guess, behind the scenes by your supporters to try and make sure that your name's still up in light, still seen by recruiters? So hopefully you do get picked up in October. Um, well, I'm definitely just trusting that the... Uh, form that I was in is still on the recruiters' minds and understanding that I do work hard and I am motivated and this is something that I really want. So obviously I've just been promoting my rehab just to have a little reminder that I'm still here and I'm still pushing to reach that dream. But it's more just the support of all my devil and my family just saying, you know, if it doesn't happen now, look at where AFL women's footy is going and how much it's going to grow. So more just the motivation and the um, constant fuel to keep going is the biggest thing that I've got for my devil family and my own friends and family. But, yeah, it's really just relying what will be what will be, is what will be. But, um, yeah, it's a little bit nerve-wracking, but fingers crossed, I guess. Who are you most proud of uh, the Devils that has made AFLW? Because they're scattered all over the place. Hutchie over at the Pies, Chops and Scotty over at the Bulldogs, Smitty over at Melbourne, Perko over in Adelaide. Um, that's a really tough one. I'd probably say I'm very proud of them all, but, you know, we've always been aware of the Chops and the Scotties and the Perkos and the Hutchies, but I'd probably say I'm very proud of Sophie Casey, who plays for Collingwood, because 
she wasn't a very well-known um, footballer last year and um, she nearly did get missed out and missed for being picked because no one was aware of who she was and her name wasn't out there. But she's worked so hard and she's put in all the energy into her footy that finally things are um, going off for her and hopefully she'll have another ripping AFL Women's season coming up. And I guess we can confirm because, as you said, you do have this teaching job in Victoria. You will be applying for the Victorian draft? Yes, I will. I have thought about going into state, but I do love my teaching and I do want to speak in Victoria just to ensure that I have my career and, um, yeah, hopefully get picked up by one of the Victorian clubs. Well, this is your 30 seconds to sell yourself, Jess. If a recruiter (laughs) was sitting here right in front of you right now, what would you say were your best attributes as a footballer? Um, I'm pretty much a very family-based team player. Um, as a lot of people are aware, I'm more about the one percenters and doing and playing my role for the team. Um, I'd rather be told to play a role to ensure the team gets across the line and do the little one percenters because a champion team needs to be made up of both one percenters and flash players. Well, it's great to hear, and hopefully you get a spot. You're up against a lot of talented under-18-year-olds. You're up against, I guess, uh, like the Hetheringtons and Abitangellos, who, of course, are, who are mature players who are playing this year in the VFLW. And just quietly, you might be up against someone called Deb who's been running around and pinching things <laughs> into the Eastern Devils. I'm glad to be up against Deb. I hope she goes well. She's a legend. <laughs> well, Jess, thank you very much for joining us here at Girls Play Footy. We wish you all the very best as you continue ACL rehab and that you're all ready to go for pre-season come November and hopefully taken by an AFLW club. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Let's take our focus overseas now. You may recall that we were at the USAFL Nationals in Sarasota, Florida, in October last year and there we saw an extraordinary event where the Denver Lady Bulldogs were going for their seventh Division One title in a row only to be stopped by the San Francisco Iron Maidens who took home their first ever Division One women's title. A woman that played that day for the San Francisco Iron Maidens is not just a regular part of the team. She is now also the president of the Golden Gate Australian Football League which is responsible for not only the Iron Maidens, but the men's side, the Golden Gate Roos, and looking after the Metro football competition throughout the San Francisco area. She's one of the handful of female presidents in the USAFL. It's great to have on the line Julie Marks. Julie, how are you? Uh, Great, great to be here. Thanks for having me. How's it been the last 11 months or so since returning home from Sarasota, Florida, as Division I national champions in the women's? It has been that it's been amazing. That weekend, you know, was uh, everything a lot of us have worked up for since you know Jess and Millie uh, created the club, and you know we had we had our first taste, I think, in 2013, um, and we we always wanted we always wanted that cup. So it's just been pounding pounding the the pitch and focusing on skills and training and recruiting to to be able to to. to to have a side to be able to bring bring home the cup, um, and then coming back, you know, it was it was amazing. The support we got from our broader club members, and then just the broader USAFL community um, was was amazing. And you know, it it really pushed us this year um, to really keep up with our recruiting um, to bring more and more women in into the fold for the for the Iron Maidens for the GGFL. Um, because to be quite honest, we, we want another cup. So we are chasing uh, that second flag. And what's it meant actually having that cup? I mean, I've seen plenty of photos of you taking it around to your sponsors, uh, obviously <laughs> taking it around town as well. Um, How has that helped winning that title in trying to not only recruit new players, but also trying to push out the brand of the Iron Maidens throughout the Bay Area? Yeah, it's it's definitely helped because whenever you see some sort of like trophy or pennant going around the city, people are like, "Oh, well, what's what's that? How did you do that?" And people, uh, we we went on a little bit of a pub crawl with our with the trophy um, when we got back, and you know, folks on the street are just like cheering and are you know shouting out congratulations, but they don't know what's going on. But and then they they come up and they talk to us and they're like, "Oh, well, that's that's really cool." And then we hand them a business card. 
and hopefully, you know, we get some contact information out of them and, and we can bring them into the fold. Um, so it's been a great from a recruiting standpoint um, to kind of just help uh, to show that, you know, it's we're more we're more than just kind of a, a backyard team. Um, we are, we are organized. This is something that, you know, we put a lot of time, effort into, and we care about. Um, and we are looking for more like-minded individuals to, to get, to get on board. And what have those recruiting numbers been like? Because I've noticed that for your Metro teams, you originally just had the sirens and the breakers. You've now extended to three Metro teams by introducing the pond turtles this year. Yep. So that was um, the Pond Turtles was a, gr- a growth goal that we put together at the beginning of the year where we the past couple of years, we had solid numbers to support the two uh, metro teams. But we were starting to break, um, have, a, have a couple extras. So that's where we really wanted to push ourselves to start that third team where we knew we didn't have enough to have it be have a fully dedicated team yet. Um, but we wanted to establish the brand and establish that as, uh, something to push towards for, you know, this year and and into the next, in the next year. And what's it been like, obviously retaining players as well from the division one title last year? Um, yeah, so I would say we've got, uh, most, most of our, most of our maidens are back. Um, we are having a bit of a turnover this year with a couple ladies, moving on out of the city. Um, San Francisco is a transient city. So, you know, while folks are always, you know, potentially going, they're always coming as well. So it's just a matter of um, as those ladies are starting to, you know, move, move onward and outward to, to refill them, backfill them with, with new blood um, and new legs. And we're excited that we've had uh, an uptick in commitment of a lot of our new players from last year who were, you know, just, getting their toes wet, starting to figure it out that didn't necessarily come to a lot of the tournaments. But when we came back with that trophy, they were like, I want to be a part of that. I should have gone to nationals. So I'm definitely going to be vested this year in being a part of it. Now, I believe as part of your recruiting strategy, you managed to find one player at Oakland at 11 o'clock one morning. And an hour later, they're on a flight to Denver to play in the Western Regionals. Uh, yeah. So what happened, what happened was, um, we got a call, um, some from, from, from the lady Bulldogs basically be like, Hey, there's this random girl in Denver. She's from Oakland though. Do you, can she play? And we're like, of, of course, like we're never going to turn anybody away, um, from playing footy. So she, you know, showed up for a game. We gave her a jumper, gave her like a 20 minute overview of, this is what footy is. And she was, uh, she played basketball in college. Um, so we were able to translate it to basketball as much as possible. Um, so she was like, Oh, okay. And then we were just like, and just run and have fun. And she had a great time. Um, she's been back for some more and more trainings, um, after Denver and we're hoping we can lock her in for, for a couple more games and then, um, for nationals as well. Now, what's the build-up been like to Nationals? I know that um, a few months ago you hosted a tournament against uh, Sacramento and Denver. You went across to the Western Regionals when you took on the All-Stars Denver and the combined Seattle-Sacramento team. I believe you're hosting Sacramento coming up soon as well. Yep. Yes, we uh, we're hosting. We played Sacramento two weeks ago and are playing them again in uh, October se- October seventh. The build-up has been. Um, been good. Um, I see years are always challenging because you do lose a core of your players to go over to Australia to compete. And, you know, this year we sent, I believe, eight women, um, which is incredible. And we're so proud of, of all the work that they did. And a lot of our goals was to help them get over there and to make sure that they were playing the best footy that they could. And then once they were there to to maintain the level of fitness and the level of skill so that when they came back, you know, they we didn't lose a step on them. Um, and I would say that's kind of where we're at right now. Now it's a matter of, you know, starting to finalize our rosters and, you know, figuring out um, positioning and to just to just really get ready for nationals um, and go in and just get after it. 
Now, I believe as well you also have one more match before the Nationals, and we're talking about one week out. I believe you've got a game that will be lined up against the Aussie Sparks touring side. How did that conversation come about? Yep, so the Aussie Sparks um, is something that um, came that actually um, Andrea Castilla set up uh, back in the end of May, beginning of June, reached out to all the Western clubs, you know, starting to talk about the Sparks. And to be quite honest, at first, um, didn't really know what to, to take on it because last year, you know, the Dingoes reached out as well and it just didn't, didn't necessarily follow through. Um, so this year we were like, okay, well, yeah, let's, let's figure out, um, what's going on with the sparks. And then, you know, over the past couple of months, starting to, to work more and more with Robert, um, the organizer over there, um, and figuring out how we can put together, you know, a great tour for them and a partnership for them. Um, I will say it is challenging the timing to be right before nationals, just because, you know, everybody is super laser focused on making sure everybody is healthy and rested. Um, so we've got some, we've got a couple ideas, uh, working with them to get the, get a great hit out for them, for us. And then ultimately for the, the day of, um, or during the national tournament as well. Now, just before we let you go, you're one of the uh, handful of female presidents uh, of clubs in the USAFL. When we say that, that's clubs obviously encompassing both the men's and the women's. How does it feel to be in that position that leading up the GGAFL, which is responsible for the Golden Gate Ruse and the Iron Maidens? Yep. Um, I've loved um, loved my time as, as president here. You know, I've had a great mentorship in the ability to lead on past presidents like Lee Barnes, Luke Quirk, and obviously Kyle Johnson to ask for guidance um, when, you know, interesting situations come on board um, and some issues that are, you know, tend to be more uh, men specific. Um, so them being able to provide that guidance has been fantastic. Um, we do have our challenges, like I would say with any club, just the ability to keep folks organized, uh, communicate effectively and, you know, just make sure everybody is always in the loop on what's going on. Um, but you know, I've had a ton of great support with my broader executive team, um, really doing, picking up a lot of the heavy lifting and we've been able to move, I think the club forward to establish, you know, a, a, a solid community, um, really empower a lot of the, the younger folks or the new folks, I should say, um, to ultimately make sure that the GGFL is something that maintains, maintains for years to come. Um, so it's been, it's been fantastic. Um, it's been challenging, but all in all, um, I'm very honored to be, to be in a leadership role for, for the club. Well, Julie, thank you very much for joining us here at Girls Play Footy. We wish you all the very best in the upcoming games. And then, of course, the USAFL Nationals, where you defend your title come mid-October. Great. Thank you again for having me. Everyone loves a good footy book, and the great news is there's a new series out. It's called Play Like a Girl, and it focuses on a fictional girls' footy team called the Flyers. Now, each of the five books has a view from a different player in the team. It touches on various different things, and to explain it a little bit more, we've got on the line radio host, comedian, tragic Collingwood supporter, and author of the series of books, Joe Stanley. Joe, how are you? Hi, Peter. I'm really well, and you? Not too bad at all. Great to see you've got this new book out. So let's take a few steps back. Everyone knows that you're on the radio. So how did you get into writing this fantastic series? Well, quite literally, I was asked to do it. <laughs> so uh, I'm someone who doesn't often say no. That's the first thing you need to know about me. Um, if offers come up, I usually step right through that door. But uh, I was so fortunate pretty much this time last year for Bonnier Publishing to approach me and say, hey, we see that AFLW has been announced. We think it would be a really fantastic thing to have a book series about a girls' footy team. And would you like to write it? And I was like, oh, wow, yes, why not? I love footy. I have an eight-year-old daughter who doesn't play footy, but she's really into any kind of sport, really. And um, I have, I'm really passionate about little girls having stories written about them and for them. 
that aren't about princesses or fairy tales or romance. They're about girls being active and being great friends to each other and overcoming whatever challenges they face. And I was like, yes, please, I want to write that. So that's really how it came about. I'm, I'm, I'm pinching myself. And I guess this is the first series of books really from a female character point of view as opposed to, I guess, the Specky McGee's, for example, that we've been used to. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's been lots of books for girls around sport, the Go Girl series and lots of various sports. Um, I've My daughter's read everything from gymnastics to netball to, you know, whatever sort of out there. But, yeah, I believe this is – well, I can't – I haven't done – haven't read every book in every bookstore, but I feel like it's one of the first that – for a girls' uh, audience and about a girls' footy team, yeah. Now, before we get into the details of the book, let, let's go back a bit. Now, you're a tragic Collingwood supporter yourself. How long has your obsession been with footy? <laughs> well, uh, I'm third-generation Collingwood in our family, um, and my poor daughter has also inherited it. It's a family affliction. So, I, you know, I suppose there was a choice, but... I kind of feel like there wasn't really growing up and, and I didn't really wish to sway from the Collingwood uh, obsession. You know, my my um, childhood was spent with my nana at Victoria Park and uh, now we take our daughter along to as many games as we can and, and um, you know, we all still have our own teeth. So, um, you know, <laughs> we, we try to be as sophisticated as we can as Collingwood supporters, but it's given us a real love of footy in general. You're one of the lucky 25,000 that managed to get inside Princess Park to watch that first ever AFL women's match. What memories have you taken away from that game with you and your daughter going along? Well, um, it was an incredibly emotional day. I mean, obviously the result wasn't great for Collingwood, but uh, I was pretty confident it would be full. I was amazed that the AFL had not predicted that to be the case, and so we got there pretty early, luckily. And uh, when we heard that it was a lockout, we felt, I think, really overwhelmed by the emotion of the day because it was clear that it was momentous for many, many people, not just Collingwood and Carlton supporters. And not just women as well. There were heaps of men there, heaps of groups of men who were there as lovers of footy, really, I think. So that was uh, the first the first sort of overwhelm of the emotion of the day. And then um, probably going into the game, it was really profound to me to see my daughter standing on the fence watching the game and it just looked exactly like what I did when I was watching Victoria Park or watching at Victoria Park when I was 8, 9 and 10 and it just really struck me how um, women's footy is very grassroots footy. It's very accessible in a very different way. Um, we go to the MCG and we watch the men and my daughter struggles to kind of you know, follow the game, it's, you know, the MCG is so massive and it's, you know, the game's sort of a long way away no matter where you're sitting, whereas this was her opportunity to really see and hear, you know, you could hear the football being kicked as it went past you and hear the women yelling out to each other in the same way I remember hearing it. And it just really um, emphasised the connection with the game that really has grown in the last year for her. So that's been awesome for us. Being able to see that game up close and then the resulting uh, matches throughout the AFL women's season, did that give you, I guess, a burst of inspiration in the way that you attacked how you were going to write this series of books? Well, it was really crucial, Peter, that I got um, the AFLW on board to license the books because it was important to me that I was able to speak about actual players. It was important to me that our readers can see that um, these are real um, footy clubs that I was referring to and when in my book they're dreaming about being professional players they, themselves when they grow up, you know, they could they could be inspired by players that we already see on the field. It kind of made it just a very, um, I put it in a, you know, a, a real context. Um, but I suppose to it allowed me to um, fully understand how profound it was for, you know, footy fans like my daughter who has spent her last you know, five years since she could walk kicking a footy with her with my nephew, who's the same age as her. Um, and, you know, they would commentate each other in the backyard like every little kid has. But for my nephew, he could commentate himself on the MCG and it was a dream that could possibly happen. But up until this year when my daughter did that, it was not a reality. And so... You know, it was really important to me to see for her that now dreams are exactly equal 
that her aspiration can be exactly equal to her cousin. Um, and, and so when I wrote about it in the book, it was at a time where it was not unremarkable. It wasn't, it wasn't crazy to imagine that you could play on the MCG. It was just a standard dream, which is sort of the reality that now we're stepping into for our little girls. Now, with the Play Like a Girl series, as we say, it's not just the one book, it's a series there that people can go out and buy. Are you touching on a, a different theme across each book? Yeah, so there's a lot of footy in there, and that was really important to me that it wasn't token. You know, like you mentioned, the Specky McGee books, you know, they, they have full passages of, of, of footy. Same with the Selwood books that um, Tony Wilson writes, you know, they're full footy uh, passages. So there are, there's definitely that in, in the Play Like a Girl um, series, but also there are themes around, um, in the first book, there's a girl who's at the the girl whose perspective is written from, um, she starts at a new school. So there's themes around isolation and making new friends. Then as we go through the series, each book is written from the perspective of a different member of the team, of the footy team. So, yeah, it's things like um, loneliness or uh, failure and how you overcome failure or, um, you know, one little girl is living with her gran um, because her parents aren't in the picture, so it's understanding that she feels different from other friends who have big families or, you know, there's lots of different themes throughout the book and and generally they're just sort of experiences that I know that, you know, girls aged 8 to 10 and 11 sort of experience. And it's around this fictional team called, if I'm correct, the Flyers. That's it, the Flyers. Go the Flyers. Yeah, and it starts in the first book at the very start of the season and by book four we get to the grand final. Absolutely wonderful. Now, of course, uh, you kicked off with the launch of this book uh, just about a week or so ago at the AFLW Origin Game. You had the privilege of having Libby Birch there with you as well to, yeah. uh, to uh, yeah. help sign that. What's the feedback that you've got early on from, from those that have gone out and purchased this book? Oh, it's been so amazing. Firstly, it's been exactly that. Little girls and their parents coming up to me and saying, thank you for writing about something that isn't princesses or romances or, you know, it's actually, um, it's, it's subject matter that I'm interested in because girls are active and they are sporty, but it's, it's not often written about. So there's been a lot of that kind of feedback. And um, there's been a lot of feedback from um, parents who are just very happy that their girls are reading, you know. It's hard to get your kids engaged with books sometimes. So, you know, uh, that's that's been really overwhelming and really beautiful. Well, Joe, just before we let you go, if people are looking out for the Play Like a Girl series, where can they get their hands on this book, which just quietly might be a great Christmas gift? Oh, yes. Uh, good idea. Uh, well, you can get them in all good and probably some average bookstores as well and online, of course. So look out for just Google search Play Like a Girl and you'll find this great series of books by Joe Stanley. Joe, thank you very much for joining us here at Girls Play Footy and uh, we wish your pies all the very best in the 2018 <laughs> AFLW season. Thank you so much. Over the weekend, saw the AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division Grand Final played at Blacktown International Sports Park between the UNSW Eastern Suburbs Stingrays and Sydney University Bombers. To go over who won and why, we've got on the line our regular reporter from Sydney in Lauren Hodgson. Lauren, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, thanks, Peter. How are you? Not too bad at all. Finally, the big day came around at Blacktown International Sports Park. At a quarter time, I think people would have been thinking, oh, we're getting our money's worth here when scores were level at two straight 12 apiece between the Stingrays and the Sydney Uni Bombers. Yeah, look, it really was a tight first quarter um, with obviously the scores being tied at, at two, two goals apiece at the first break. And even at the main break, half time, it was only 22 to 13. But uh, the Stingrays really broke away in, the, in, in that third quarter. And uh, I suppose that's why it's called the Premiership Quarter, isn't it, Peter? Um, look, the Stingrays broke away and kicked five goals uh, and held the Bombers scoreless uh, in that term, which really set them up um, for the win. They then The Stingrays then kicked another five goals to one in the final term and, uh, you know, ran out strongly and, and took the Premiership with a 69-point victory, which I don't think anyone uh, would have predicted. I think most of us were predicting a, uh, a fairly close game there. So whilst the result in terms of the Stingrays being Premiers is maybe not a surprise, I think the uh, the length of their margin is. Uh, Belinda Pride and Jasmine Smith were focal points up forward for the Stingrays, kicking four and three goals apiece. Uh, whilst Rachel Stack, who uh, 
is the competition leading goal kicker this year. Was a Bombers only multiple goal scorer with two goals? Uh, Jasmine Smith was best on ground for the Stingrays and Nicola Barr for the Bombers. And uh, it's the second consecutive premiership for the Stingrays, who lost only two games the whole season, uh, one being to Mac Uni uh, not long before the finals and uh, one uh, midway through the season to the Bombers. So, uh, you know, a great season to both teams, obviously to Stingrays uh, for winning the premiership and it's their second consecutive premiership. They're, uh, they've had a pretty good couple of years and... Um, and I said, as have the Bombers as well, they've been up and about for the last few years. But um, fantastic way to, to end the season for the Stingrays on uh, such a big win to claim the title there, Peter. Indeed, and congratulations to Tracy Kick and all her crew at the UNSW Eastern Suburbs Stingrays. Just also quickly, the best and fairest night was held on Monday in Sydney and the GWS Giants uh, captain and captain of Macquarie University, uh, Amanda Ferruccia, taking out the Moston Medal. Yeah, she um, obviously had a, a brilliant season uh, coming off her uh, AFLW season and uh, she polled six best on ground uh, sorry, she she was best on ground six times during the season, and uh, yeah, just just had a fantastic year. I think holding something like eleven out of sixteen games, um, so just a fantastic, fantastic leader, fantastic player, and a really good, um, I think, ambassador and for the game, and and also a role model for those younger girls coming through. Um, her second league best and fairest in the uh, top division of the women's competition, I believe, as well. So she's been a, one of the top players for quite a few years now there, Peter. Well, Lauren, thank you very much for joining us, uh, not only today, but right throughout the season, having a look at the AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division. And hopefully we'll catch up with you in a couple of weeks' time just for your thoughts on some of the players to look out for from the Sydney competition coming around to the draft in mid-October. Yeah, really looking forward to that. And uh, it's been a, a great season, as you said. And, uh, yeah, now looking towards the uh, AFLW draft. Time now to take a look back at the semi-finals of the VFL women's competition that was played over the weekend at Piranha Park, Coburg City Oval. And joining us on the line is our lead caller here at RSN Carnival in Matthew Cox. Coxie, how are you? Oh, I'm very well, Pete, after a, a great weekend of footy at Coburg City Oval. Two upsets we got on the weekend. And I'll tell you what, if it's a combination of how the rest of the finals are going to play out, I can't wait for uh, this Saturday with the preliminary final on the cards for a 2.30pm bounce down. We'll get to that in a moment's time. Melbourne Uni and the St Kilda Sharks. Uh, it shocked everyone that there was a late withdrawal. Ali Blackburn did not play, had a hamstring issue, and boy, they would have needed her. They went down Uni, 5.939, the St Kilda Sharks, 9.559. And get this quick stat, I believe it's the first time the St Kilda Sharks have won a final in the first or top division since 10 years ago. Now that's that's quite an impressive feat, and it in in some ways explains the reason why they came out with such ferocity in the the opening term of the game. It set the tone the first ten minutes of the first term, the St Kilda Sharks, and I think we were a little bit worried when they weren't really capitalising on the scoreboard. They only got two two goals two in the first term, and you thought, oh, is that a window of opportunity? for the muggers to just roll over the top. We know how quick that they can be. But to the Sharks' credit, they uh, continued on. The, the second term was very similar to the first. They uh, showed a lot of pressure around the contest, moved the ball very, very quickly, and were able to get some scoring opportunities. And then from there, the game just went their way, and it was a case for, for Melbourne Uni of missed opportunities. When they did get a bit of control of the footy, they just could not do anything with it. And uh, the Sharks were able to run out, uh, in the end, comprehensive victors, 9-5-59 to 5-9-39. Real credit goes to some of the lesser-known types of the St Kilda Sharks. We've said for so long that Brianna Davey is the real barometer for the Sharks, but she was clearly hampered on the weekend. I don't think she made an appearance after the halfway point of the second term in the game some sort of uh, leg issue. She was spotted on the, the stationary bike uh, on the bench for most of the game. So obviously a, a cork or something that's uh, lingering from the state of origin game is hampering her. But uh, without her, we, you 
may have thought in the past, oh, the St Kilda Sharks could be a bit rocky here, but to uh, a couple of the lesser-known players' credit, uh, Tilly Lucas, right, she's not really that lesser-known, but she uh, is continues to grow and improve and has really developed after the first year of the AFLW. Jenna Brutton uh, continues to keep getting better, better and better. And uh, Amanda Walsh, um, pressure, especially in the first term, the tackling pressure that she applied, uh, and the second efforts, I think, from all three really set the tone for the game for the St Kilda Sharks and set them up for a good victory. Garner was impressive again, uh, as I said in the call on the weekend. She's the best contested mark in the competition after the weekend's performance. I've got no doubts about that. She kicked four goals as well. And on the other side of the coin, for Melbourne Uni, Moana Hope uh, was able to kick three goals, but uh, that was just about it for the Muggers. There was no real silver lining on what has really been a disappointing 2017 for what could have been. I think if you look back at uh, Melbourne Uni's year, you would have to mark it as a fail, unfortunately, because they had essentially the same core that they had and last year, they got them to the grand final. They got Lauren Spark back. They got Kate Sheeler as well up forward. And, of course, they got Moana Hope as well. And you're thinking, well, you know, they only lost really Beck Goring, who went to uh, play at Geelong. You're thinking that's a strong enough side to be able to go round again. They got off to a cracking start, but they did take that gamble that we talked about during the pregame show of not resting some of those key elite players in the middle of the season and in the end, they just seem to be exhausted at the end of the year. Blackburn missing with the injury, as we said, and uh, they just simply ran out of gas. Yeah, and it was interesting that Jess Anderson played the first half in the defensive fifth dealing. That's the first time I've seen her out of the attacking half of the ground. So it was a, an interesting move by the Muggers. And I think that's their weakness. They don't have a key position defender in the side. I mean, you, you do have the likes of um, Gabriella Pound, who, who plays well above her, her height. Uh, you've got Cecilia McIntosh, although she was playing forward on the weekend. You've got Nicholas Stevens um, there as well, but there's no real bulky key defender that can really stamp the authority. Saundra is probably the closest you'll get, and she was missing from the side on the weekend. And although the uh, St Kilda Sharks... Didn't have the tall forward. Garner was playing quite high. Davey started in the goal square, but then when she came off, there was really no other big forward inside attacking 50 for the Sharks. So, but, but for me, the Muggers, the weak spot is not having that uh, strong, solid uh, defensive lineup because I think the, the forward line, they, they've certainly got the personnel there. It's just a matter of them gelling together. The midfield's dynamite. But as soon as you lose, as we saw on the weekend, one of the, the key two in Blackburn or Carney, uh, they really do struggle. So interesting times for the Muggers. I, I wonder how the, the post-season review will go. Should they have managed their uh, stars early on in the year like every other club in the VFL women seem to do? Maybe. Uh, but uh, as you said, they, they certainly looked like they ran out of legs at the end and in the end, St Kilda Sharks just worked harder. I guess the key question now comes down with the St Kilda Sharks is can they go again uh, when they take on Darabin? We'll talk about that in, in a moment's time. It seems to, like, as you said, players like Walsh played absolutely out of her skin, tackling everything in the first quarter to really set the tone. Phoebe McWilliams went into the middle of the ground, did a great job. Jenna Colwell, virtually an undersized ruck, has been doing terrific uh, with the hit-out work. It seems to be, as we said, the lesser-known players. They're good footballers, but they're not up in their names are not up in lights like many of the AFLW players are. And they did a great job. They played out of their skins against Melbourne Uni. Can they go again against a seasoned Darabin? And if they do that, can they find enough juice and enough will to go again against a Diamond Creek? Yeah, that's going to be the big question. I, I get the feeling that they got themselves up to uh, that minor semi-final on the weekends. They they knew that they had to get rid of a few mental demons, and, and the way that they sung the song after the game, it was as much of a relief as it was a celebration. That's uh, the way I interpreted it because it was sung with a lot of gusto. So you just wonder how much energy was actually spent on that game and 
whether they can do it again against a, a Darabin side, which uh, is is coming off a loss and in a position that they don't often find themselves in. There is an opportunity there, though, for the Sharks. I know we'll discuss the game in a moment, but um, it's certainly going to be tough for them to back it up two weeks in a row and then potentially three weeks in a row. It's... Uh, not only from a physical point of view, the, the, the larger type of ground at Coburg City Oval, they, it was a little warm as well on the weekend, so read into that what you will. But uh, the mental effort, I think, uh, will certainly come into question. They, they would have removed the barrier with the win on the weekend, but it might have taken a bit out of them. If anything, it did at least get them on the back page of The Age and that terrific photo from Wayne Ludvie. The game that was at 1 o'clock was the major semi-final between Diamond Creek and Darabin. And I guess one could be forgiven for saying that if Diamond Creek had won and won by a close margin in a high-scoring game, people would have said, oh, yeah, could have expected that. But for the way that the Creekers systematically destroyed Darabin, I honestly don't think the 25-point margin reflects how one-sided the game was in favour of the Creekers. No, it definitely doesn't. I think it's, it actually makes Darabin look a little more respectable uh, considering the scoring shots that they had to. I don't think uh, early on in the game you would have thought they would have ended up with, uh, what's that, 11 scoring shots uh, to finish off the game. They, this game went the way of Diamond Creek. And again... I think we got the impression in the first term, okay, this is how the games have been in the recent past between these two sides, where Diamond Creek start with a lot of pressure, uh, similar to the way the Sharks uh, were able to dismantle Melbourne Uni. Diamond Creek are able to start with a lot of tackling pressure, trying to attack. In the past, they haven't been able to capitalise on the scoreboard. And at quarter time, when they only had one goal on the board, you thought, have they done themselves into a bit of trouble again? But the first 10 minutes of the second term completely put the game on its head and snuffed out any chance that Darabin had of uh, challenging to come back. And on that, it just didn't look like the Darabin side we've become accustomed to. It looked, in a way... Uh, similar to the Falcons' side back in round one against the Muggers. It just looked very clunky, very disjointed. They just uh, didn't know where each other were, were on the ground. They just had little awareness. And it's quite surprising considering there's so many stars in that lineup. It just, for whatever reason, it just did not click. And Diamond Creek just worked harder and harder. And when they smelt blood, they they went for the kill. And that's exactly what they did uh, straight through to the grand final, which considering where they were at the end of last year, I think they could have gone two ways. It could have been a complete rebuild of uh, the Diamond Creek side and they may have missed finals again this season or they replenished what they were missing. They got a lot of players back from injury as well, which certainly helped the cause. But the way that they are playing is completely different to the way that we've seen over the last couple of years, which uh, Scott Gowans has no doubt brought his expertise in and and really structured up this Diamond Creek side. There was still a little bit of old habits uh, in periods of the game where they did just try and bomb the ball long, but for the most part of it, it was much more about hitting up targets and keeping control of the ball and and waiting for the right time to attack rather than just blazing away. So it was a really good performance by Diamond Creek and off the back of that performance, you'd have to suggest with the week off and not too many players looking tired, they may go into the grand final as favourites. For the Darabin Falcons, now I don't want to rob Diamond Creek of their victory and use this as too much of an excuse, but I'm using it as a theory. Katie Brennan did say on uh, Best and Fairest Night when she won the VFL Women's uh, League BNF that uh, she didn't know if she was going to go along on that Monday night because she was feeling under the weather, feeling a bit crook. And at the same time, there was a photo congratulating Katie Brennan on winning the medal from Melissa Hickey, who was obviously watching at home. Now, with... Brennan and Higgy not having a great day. Arnell was quiet. O'Day had a shocker. Pierce just seemed off the pace. I do half wonder, has the cold actually gone through Darabin? Did everyone come down crook at the same time? If so, that'll explain why a bunch of their stars just really looked off the pace. Yeah, they look really, really flat in terms of an energy perspective. But just 
when Dom and Craig were willing to go for the footy, they, they sort of just held off, which isn't the Darabin characteristic. Even when you do rewind back to earlier in the season when they were struggling, they, they were still trying to fight and scrap out the games, whereas on the weekend they just they, they almost sat back and watched, which which is really puzzling. And as you say, that, that, that theory would explain the reasons why they uh, were probably – not uh, at their peak. The other one is how many players returned from the State of Origin game uh, feeling a bit banged up and bruised and a bit fatigued because A, it was on uh, the larger ground of Etihad Stadium. B, the pace of that game, even though the margin was uh, 97-odd points, the pace of it was still uh, quite uh, high. So you just wonder how many were, were feeling just a little... Uh, sick and sorry uh, on the weekend, just uh, trying to recoup. And I'll tell you what, they, considering the number of players in the Falcons lineup that would have participated in the State of Origin game, they would have loved to have had this weekend off. That's a big setback now. If these, if they're still not feeling a hundred percent, coming into a, a shark side that's got a bit of belief coming into to this weekend. It's a little bit of a concern. They really do need to be focused and on the ball, Darabin, because otherwise, if they walk in the same way they did on uh, Sunday, it's, it's game over before the ball's even bounced. And for those listening, just go to YouTube, search AFL Victoria, and have a look at that semi-final between Darabin and Diamond Creek. You'll see in the opening minute, Daisy Pierce get pinned for throwing the football. Now, Pierce is possibly the cleanest by hand in the entire competition, VFLW or AFLW. And for her to get pinned early like that a minute in made us all of a sudden wonder in the commentary position, hang on, what's going on here? And then if you watch through the final quarter, watch Aliso Day and the amount of time she butchers or turns the ball over, all of us are going, hang on, Junior rarely ever makes a mistake, let alone a bunch of them. Something's not quite right here. But all credit again to Diamond Creek. Shay Audley virtually shutting down Daisy Pierce for the game. The likes of Riddle going through the middle of the ground. Emma Grant across halfback was sensational. A great leader for them. Bernardi working her guts out across half forward to give her plenty. And then the one-on-one, Malloy versus Birch. Malloy owned Birch, owned that area inside 30. Yes, she didn't kick a bag worth of goals. But more importantly... Just her presence just kept that forward 50 open and allowed plenty of fast-running entries for the Creekers to score from. And I really liked it too because Birch was trying to, to ruffle her feathers a bit. She was constantly niggling her off the ball and just, just trying to unsettle her. And I really was impressed with the composure for Malloy to not buy into it, to not get into a scuffle, which... Uh, you can sometimes do in that situation when you're all by yourself in the goal square and you've got a player that's uh, niggling into the side of you. And I just like the fact that she let the performance do the talking. I think that was the most impressive thing about that matchup, that she just didn't buy into to any of the side drama, that she just was there, played her role, played it, not, as you said, not to the to the high levels that we've seen throughout 2017, but did the job that uh, was required for Diamond Creek. And I think that the players that you mentioned there, I think you could add, you could add another 18 to, to that list because they all play the role. And that's that's the other big thing for Diamond Creek in 2017. It's, it's really hard to find the, the best on ground players because they all play a role no matter where they're thrown on the park. They all do it at 100%. And when they're doing that for, for almost four quarters of footy, they, they do look very unstoppable. We should mention as well, when we say the names Tanya Hetherington back from ACL, they recruited Ashley Riddell from Fitzroy, Emma Grant from Bendigo, and the 18-year-old in Chloe Malloy, all of them getting in the VFLW Team of the Year. That just shows the quality that's been added to the Diamond Creek side. Yeah, it's, it's quite phenomenal, phenomenal, isn't it? Considering where they were this time last year. Um, it's one of the great stories of women's footy in 2017, the rebirth of the Diamond Creek Footy Club. And it hasn't all just been developing their own talent from within, even though there's been a, a fair bit of that. It, it, it has been the, the, the smart recruiting. They haven't just gone out and tried to, to get players into the club as some other 
teams of the competition have. They, they've been really calculated in terms of the people that they brought in to, to fill holes, to uh, to be able to, to cover losses if they did have injuries in 2017. And as you say, the likes of Etherington coming back, Loins, I think, is another one that doesn't get talked spoken about too much um, her, her performance this year has just been exceptional um, no doubt the AFLW season contributing to that but she just not only is she, she clean with her disposal and, and her decision making but the second efforts around the contest for someone that's basically in the first year coming back from an ACL it is quite outstanding the performance that she puts in and the courage she has going into the contests um, is really really impressive so the couple of the veterans there for Diamond Creek teaming up with a couple of the, the young stars and a couple of those that have, have played senior footy elsewhere it's uh, it's good mix good time to be around the Creekers let's have a look at the preliminary final 2.30 p.m. at Piranha Park it's Coburg City Oval Darabin Falcons and the St Kilda Sharks it's the first time in a long time that the Darabin Falcons have had to take the long way around to get to the grand final it's the first time in 10 years that the Sharks have won a final to then progress to the next stage, as opposed to last year where they lost a major semi and went into next week uh, having the double chance. So the Sharks are up and about. We question if they had the mental ticket to do over Melbourne Uni. They did. The question is, can they sum up that courage not to be intimidated by the Darabin Falcons, who no doubt whether they're tired or not are going to hit back because they know this is uh, the last chance saloon. Yeah, well, that's it. You know that there's going to be a, a fight coming from Darabin, no matter which way it is, whether it's the, the attackingness that they, they bring to the footy or it's just going to be a, the, the scrap type of contest that they love to bring. You, you get the feeling that uh, they're coming off a bit of a, a heartache on the weekend. They know that that's not the, the Darabin Falcons footy club. They know that they've got to obviously win to make the grand final and they'll want to make a statement uh, to Diamond Creek to say, hey, you pushed us off the park last time. Uh, that, that was just a one-off, a blip on the radar. So they'll be looking to come out fighting to say, kill the Sharks. You just spoke again about the mental barrier. The last time the Sharks played the Falcons in a final uh, was that major semi last year where they were absolutely destroyed. Didn't kick a goal until I think the, the latter stages of the final term of that game and, and were quite lucky to, to get that. They were, they were pummeled in, in that game. And you just wonder, will a few of those uh, thoughts or memories enter the mind of the Sharks again this week, knowing that they're coming up against the all-conquering Darabin side, the side that uh, has is on the rebound, the, the side that uh, they don't have the best of records against. You just, uh, yeah, you wonder if they can can sum up that, that courage and that belief. I think that's the biggest thing for the Sharks. In the last month, going back to that game against the Spurs, I think you can trace it back to. You thought going into that game, there was a little bit of pressure on them to, to uh, shut down the top four. Um, you just w wondered then, oh, will this inconsistency come in? They're playing a, a lower side of the competition, so they're probably not firing on all cylinders. They came out that day and they, they blitzed the Spurs. They did a similar thing to, I think it was Cranburn uh, in the, the closing rounds. They, they've come into this final series fit and firing, um, and you just wonder if they have are full of belief after the weekend's result. Uh, who knows what could happen? It's a bit like the Western Bulldogs last year in the men's competition of the AFL. They uh, just got on a, a wave and, and surfed it all the way to the Premiership. You wonder if the Sharks could do a similar thing this year. I, I think at the moment, Pete, it's uh, it's a toss of the coin. Um, I, I think Darabin might get over the line, but I'm not completely confident. As I said before, if if they turn up the same way they turned up on on Sunday against Diamond Creek, then I think the Sharks are going to run all over the top of them, uh, especially if they get on the board early. But we know Darabin's going to challenge. We know how good of a side they are, and um, uh, I, I just I don't think in this situation you, you can't tip them. But uh, I tell you what, it's not a confident tip. Well, 
on Sunday, I tipped none from two. I tipped Darabin, didn't get that. I tipped Melbourne Uni, didn't get that. So considering that form, I shall tip Darabin to win by five goals. Read it to <laughs> that one, be, they'll, they'll be cursing you uh, all, all The kiss of death. <laughs> Commentator's curse. <laughs> So, of course, that'll be live on RSN Carnival Digital Radio Melbourne and the RSN Racing and Sport app from 1.30pm for a 2.30pm bounce down. Yours truly, plus Matthew Cox, along with Neve Felton and uh, Katie Lambeski bringing you uh, that game, which should be an absolute cracker. We should mention as well, Coxie, that's immediately following the Young Guns game that's being played at 12 o'clock and the Coburg Lions having a junior footy clinic beforehand at 10. Yeah, big day of women's footy at Coburg City Oval. Good to see it, that it this time of the year, there's uh, a few curtain raises, if you like, to, to the main game because I think uh, we were a little bit concerned when uh, the the VFL women's finals weren't paired up with the men's as they have been in, in previous years. Um, so it's nice to see that there's a little bit of activity and hopefully we get a similar crowd because I think that was the other impressive thing from Sunday was the crowd. I reckon there was a good thousand people there um, and they stuck around for both games which uh, doesn't usually happen so that's a, that's a positive result that uh, we've got spectators coming along and watching what are genuine football contests because these are, are clubs that have got a lot to play for they are, they are clubs that are brilliant to watch when they're, they're fit and firing so um, if you're in the vicinity of Coburg City Oval on Saturday afternoon uh Walk in. It only costs ten bucks, I think, to get in for an adult. I think it's so, fifteen. Uh, I think now. Oh, there you go. <laughs> after after the weekend, they might have put the prices up. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, get along because you're going to witness something special either way. Well, Coxie, thanks very much for joining us. We look forward to your company on Sunday for the VFLW preliminary final at Coburg. Yeah, looking forward to it, Pete. And just before we go, results from the Tasmanian State League women's competition over the weekend where they held their semi-finals, And Clarence 4-4-28 went down to Launceston 5-8-38. Glenorchy 7-8-50 defeating Bernie 2-2-14. And that means in the preliminary final, Clarence host Glenorchy at Bluntstone Arena on Saturday, September 16th at 10 a.m. Launceston going straight through to the grand final the following weekend. Bernie eliminated from the final series. That wraps up Girls Play Footy for another week. A quick reminder, you can follow us on social media by going to Twitter, just search for Girls Play Footy or go to facebook.com forward slash Girls Play Footy. And for all the latest women's footy news, just go to our website, girlsplayfooty.com. And don't forget our coverage of the VFL Women's Final Series continues with a preliminary final this Saturday at Piranha Park, Coburg City Oval on air 1.30pm for a 2.30pm bounce down between the St Kilda Sharks and Darabin Falcons. I'm Peter Holden. It's been great having your company and it's bye for now.